Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Ben Wartsky, and this is I Know What You're Thinking. I want to begin today with just some insight into how my brain works. Over my years of life, I have observed that some people are simply very good at guessing objects, distance, height, weight, time, etc. You know, commonly referred to as guesstimation. I thought this was kind of just luck-based, but some people I know, such as my friend Alex, are so scary accurate at it that I think there has to be something more there. Beyond that, I think that there is a skill involved in just being able to think abstractly to use basic math reasoning to solve seemingly impossible questions, which, funnily enough, is kind of how I think about this show, setting up unrealistic problems and solving them using silly solutions. Regardless, all of this is to say, while some people have guesstimation skills, good guesstimation skills at that, I do not. Don't get me wrong, I have plenty of skills. I'm good looking, near Olympic level swimmer, can count to 10 in two languages, and have read three books in the past four years. But if you were to ask me how tall the Eiffel Tower is, or how old is Sean Kingston, well, that's actually a bad example because if you listened to the last episode of I Know What You're Thinking titled Sean Kingston or Sean from Kingston, then you'd know all about Sean Kingston's success or lack thereof. Or how much does Derek Dieter weigh? I'd look at you as if you're speaking a different language. It's something that I'd like to be better at, but really I'm not sure how one practices this skill. Do you go around asking people for their height and weight? Seems like a bad strategy if you ask me. Unless you're also trying to simultaneously work on your self-defense skills. It's also not something that you can really Google around and research because it's a made-up term. One site I did find that I think is interesting is fermiproblems.in. That's F-E-R-M-I problems.in. What this site does is asks you random questions that you can answer, and if you explain your reasoning well enough, or most correctly enough, or walk through your analysis, you can win money. The problem changes every week. For example, this week's problem is, quote, how many websites exist on the internet? That's a great question. That would actually be a really interesting question to try and tackle here on the show. You, you know what? Maybe, maybe don't go to that site, because you may find some, let's call it repurposed content from there coming to the show over the next coming weeks and months. That's enough time spent on that for now. I'd like to welcome you into episode five of I Know What You're Thinking. Time is such an important part of our lives. It dictates so much of what we're able to do and when we're able to do it. If you see someone chowing down on some spaghetti with a tall glass of wine at 7.30, 8pm, you'd think, man, that person is living the life. But walk into your house at 7.30am and see your roommate doing the same thing, all of a sudden it's a problem and you get sent to rehab. Today I wanted to take a look at time, focusing on two questions, one easy and one not so much. The first of which is which is better, nighttime or daytime? Very simple. Or maybe not so simple, because I'll add some qualifiers to that statement. I will define as nighttime or daytime as 6am to 6pm as daytime, and 6.01pm to 5.59am as nighttime. I know the sun often sets later than 6pm, but just for the sake of this I wanted to make the two sections equal, and the sun does rise around 6.30, 6.45am Eastern Time. And then the second question I wanted to give my opinion on is what is definitely, in my very esteemed opinion, the best time of day. Obviously the second question is hard, because the first answer you'd have based on my question is, well it depends. To which I'd say, of course it depends. but. Saying it depends doesn't generate the clicks that a title like I definitively found out what the best time was does. Let's look at the first question to start, because once I can narrow down whether I think nighttime or daytime is better, then it makes it a lot easier for me to pick a specific time within that range. I guess also something I need to clarify is I'm using times locally, which would be in the eastern time zone, but that wouldn't really matter if everyone used their own time zones. I know what you're thinking. Why are there time zones to begin with, though? 
why does France have the most time zones of any country with 12 and China only has one? By the same token, why does a small uninhabited island called the Mark in the Baltic Sea that is five nautical miles long have two time zones? It has one that's in the Swedish time zone and then Finland. While I have you semi-engaged on this small island called the Mark, before I launch into a diatribe about what constitutes a time zone and how those came to be, the Mark has only one building currently established and that is a lighthouse. The lighthouse was originally located on the Finnish side of the border, but because of a huge national uproar, it's a joke, I don't even know how anyone would even learn about this random fact, but for some unknown reason, these borderlines were redrawn now, so now this lighthouse is in the Swedish territory. So all of you that are about to get up in arms about this placement of the lighthouse, take a deep breath, relax, it's going to be okay. So time zones, why do we have them, how are they calculated? Well. Time zones are all based around this idea of coordinated universal time. But before we get to what that even means, we need to go back of how we kept track of time in the past. Obviously, the easiest way to do that would be by using the sun, which was known as keeping solar time. Solar time varies approximately... Solar time varies by approximately four minutes for every degree of longitude that you are away from that original point. So if you're in London and it's solar noon, and I'm somewhere else in Britain and I'm five degrees west, let's say, it would be about 20 minutes before solar noon arrives to me. Using this basis of time, the Royal Observatory in 1675 established the Greenwich Mean Time. The problem with this is that GMT is calculated using so many different ways that you can't specify a particular time unless you knew what context was given. A letter appearing in the Times in 1880 said, quote, Greenwich time is now kept almost throughout England, but it appears that Greenwich time is not legal time. For example, our polling booths were opened at 8.13 a.m. and closes at 4.13 p.m. To be honest, I threw that quote in there because I like to cite some secondary sources, but I really think the big takeaway here is that even during the 1880s, people were confused as to what time they should legally be following. Across the pond, here in America, we weren't having much better luck. Each railroad company kept its own standard time and was often time based on the local time of its headquarters and train schedules were published accordingly. As you can imagine, that caused issues with people missing trains and being confused about when they were supposed to get to their train. In order to standardize this, a man by the name of Charles F. Dowd proposed that railroads use hourly time zones. Unfortunately for him, the U.S. said, nah, we're good. Instead, we, the U.S., are going to go with William F. Allen's version, whose system's time zone bordered major cities instead of using natural features such as Dowd proposed. Sunday, November 2nd, 1883, is known as the Day of Two Noons, when each railroad clock was reset as the standard time noon was reached within each time zone. By 1884, over 200 cities in the U.S. were using this standard time. One city fought back, if by fighting back I mean staying stuck in local time, and then trying central time, then local time, and finally eastern standard time. Detroit, I'm looking at you. What are you doing? What were you doing? And what are you doing? Why did it take until 1916 for this change to happen? By 1918, Congress had passed the Standard Time Act, or Calder Act, which implemented standardized time and daylight savings in the United States. Funnily enough, when this act originally passed, they accidentally placed Idaho in Central Standard Time when they should have been in Mountain Standard Time, and they didn't get fixed until 2007 when the government realized that they couldn't ignore Idaho anymore as most of the United States does. Do you know what Idaho's state nickname is though? Anyone. This is unrelated to time completely, just something I want to throw in here. It's called the Gem State. Did you know that? I certainly didn't. Something else I learned in my just 
searching of Idaho because it just popped up here, is that the state seal of Idaho, which depicts a minor, is the only state seal in the United States that was designed by a woman. Shout out Emma Green, who won a competition to have her logo used as a state seal. But today's topic isn't Idaho. Heck, today's topic isn't even about time zones. It's about time. And does daylight reign supreme, or are we rocking with nighttime? Then specifically, what time of day is definitively the best? Obviously, there are certain times of day that I think should be clearly ruled out immediately. 9 a.m. for one. Beginning of a standard work or school day. Get that out of here. 3 p.m.? You're after lunch, but still two hours left of a traditional workday? Really into the doldrums of the day. Get that out of here. 4 a.m.? There's nothing good that's happening at 4 a.m. If you're getting up at 4 a.m. every day, I just feel bad for you. I get wanting to get your day going, and maybe you want to work out before work, or maybe you have a long commute. Either way, I just can't imagine why people would want to get up at 4 a.m. 1 p.m. You just ate lunch, and now you're in a food coma. Nothing's happening in your brain during this time. We can throw that out. Personally, for me, I can basically throw it any time during the morning because there's not that much to look forward to. Now we get to go to lunch. Noon is a good time. It's halfway through the day and hopefully a time where you can relax after a productive morning and kind of you can recenter, reset, refocus. I know that personally, I get excited when it's about to come lunchtime. It means that it's crunch time. We're going to get all this stuff done before lunch. And then when I get to lunch, I eat and then I'm ready to go for the remainder of the afternoon. Interestingly enough, researchers have found that humans are not the only species that can perceive time. For example, goldfish were conditioned to receive a small shock after a flash of light within a set interval. So there'd be a flash of light, 30 seconds later, the goldfish would get a slight shock. Researchers were able to see as the goldfish initiated an avoidance response at the time when they expected the distressing stimulus to happen. Similar to when I turn off my computer at 4 p.m. because I don't want any last minute hey, I know it's only 4.30 on a Friday emails, but... And then they come in and they ruin my afternoon. I just shut it off immediately. Similarly, starlings, those are birds for those uninitiated, have the ability to not only discern the difference between obtaining food at regular intervals or variable intervals, but most often they choose variable intervals which have led researchers to believe that starlings have an inclination for risk-prone behavior. Even invertebrates have a proven ability to perceive time, as shown in the case of forager honeybees, who use the availability of food storer bees to determine the nectar collection rate of the colony and the time it takes for the food storer bees to collect the honey from the forager bees to determine if the nectar that the forager bee has was a good quality. The longer the time that it takes to collect the nectar, the higher quality of the nectar that the forager bee is bringing back. What this means is that if a forager bee comes back to the hive and the food storage bee that is collecting the nectar from the bee finishes very quickly, the bee can recognize this and will change its patterns to go find flowers that produce better quality nectar. That's just so cool that animals have this, this really cool innate ability to understand their role within the workplace and how to maximize their opportunities. So if someone you know isn't good at perceiving time or doesn't seem to have any sort of spatial awareness, like let's say that we start a gathering at 5 p.m. and they're always showing up at 7, 8, 9. Maybe they don't even show up at all. Remind them that literal honeybees have more perception of time than they do. But this all comes back to which would I pick? Well, considering the bounds I said earlier, I really don't think it's much of a debate. Give me nighttime. I'm taking 6.01 p.m. to 5.59 a.m. I think you get the best of all worlds here. First of all, you have dinner time, unless you're one of those odd families, I'm looking at you, Diego, who eats at 4.30 p.m. every evening. 
Second of all, the majority of sports happen during this time. And again, I'm speaking from an American sports perspective, because if your favorite sport is soccer, and honestly, me calling it soccer probably would set some people off. But if your sport is European football, and let's say that your team is Man United, one, how does it feel to be the little brother to Man City, not finishing above them in the table since the 2012-13 season? Sheesh tough scenes regardless if you're a man united fan you're waking up to your team playing which is great except a it happens during work hours so you may not be able to watch the games and b when you're done with work you don't have anything to watch so with nighttime hours we have sports dinner time we can do some stargazing if there's minimal light pollution of course we'd probably want to head out to this place called the cosmic campground in new mexico which the nearest artificial light source is 40 miles away I, it has to be the darkest place in the united states Something the nighttime people are missing out on are happy hour deals, either with amazing appetizers or cheap drinks. Most of these deals run from 3 to 5 p.m. or 4 to 6 p.m. While you may be able to recite the Applebee's happy hour deal, which I think is just 50% off drinks and appetizers from 3 to 6 p.m., but don't quote me on that, how many of you know that the happy hour term actually started in the United States Navy in 1913 aboard the USS Arkansas, where there was a happy hour social group that created semi-weekly smokers. These semi-weekly smokers, or happy hour events, would include a variety of entertainment, including boxing, music, dancing, and movies. By the end of World War I, happy hours were commonplace and described by one Navy Shore command by saying, quote, of course there are the usual baseball and football, and there are entertainments at the YMCA, but the glory of the week is the happy hour, which men have in the gymnasium on Saturday night. Happy hours aren't welcome everywhere in the world, though. As the Intoxication Liquor Act shut down happy hours in Ireland since 2003, and even domestically, Massachusetts banned happy hours in 1984. As of 2015, other happy hour bans include states of Alaska, Delaware, Indiana, and Maine, to name a few. Honestly, forget the best time of day. I could have done a whole segment on who has the best happy hour deals and how the prohibition impacted happy hours, or even the impact that banning happy hours has on alcoholism of countries. But outside of being unable to have happy hour deals, 601 and beyond allows you to have your evenings free to go see movies, gives you sunlight to relax in golden hour, stay up late to see movie premieres, or even see if you're able to hang with all your friends until the bar shut down at 3am. Actually, do you know what state has the latest last call of all the places that have last calls? Obviously, I'm not talking about Nevada or some places down in New Orleans that are just running 24-7. The latest that I can find is Alaska whose businesses may serve alcohol from 8 a.m. until, wait for it, 5 a.m. The only exception to this rule is that on election days, where businesses must be closed until after the election polls close, which is around 8 p.m. So now we're locked into nighttime. But now to buckle down, let's get a little granular and pick a specific time. For me, I'd have to go first narrow it down to the range of after 6.01 p.m., but before 3 a.m. Cookout trips do hit the spot at 2 a.m., so that's a strong contender, but settling into a hot tub after a long day of doing things at 9 p.m., it's later into the night, so it's a little cooler than the day, but not so late in the night that you're tired, unless you're Meredith, who's actually probably asleep while she's listening to this. So for that reason, I will go with the best definitive time of day as 9 p.m. There it is. If forced to get more specific, I'll go with the palindrome of 909. 9 p.m. can be a late dinner, early start to a bar hop, it can be a late movie, or an early pregame, it could be the last minute essay cram, or maybe an early start to an all-nighter. 
you could catch the last few minutes of the 6 p.m. sports window and also get ready for the West Coast sports window to start. Your brain has not been working for a few hours, so you can feel refreshed and rejuvenated. I know a large portion of my audience, and I say audience very loosely, these are people who nap many times a day. So my 909 time can even allow for an afternoon nap before you wake back up, brush yourself off, and get ready for the evening. I can't think of a time I'd rather it be. As one band so eloquently described, because it's nine in the afternoon, your eyes are the size of the moon. You could, because you can, so you do. We're feeling so good just the way that we do when it's nine in the afternoon. Did I get it right? Is 9 p.m. the best time of day? I think it is, certainly, and obviously, I think it's not even close to any other time. But if I did miss something, or if I didn't think about something, didn't consider something, let me know. You know where to find me, at the Ben Zone on all social medias. Shoot me a text, Instagram DM. Everything is open. Our review this week, as we finish it all off, comes from one of our great listeners who gave us a five-star rating saying, quote, spectacular, amazing, engaging, thought-provoking. These are just a few words that come to mind. I could listen to Ben Wartsy speak all day. Wow, that is high praise coming from Lil AK. But I appreciate it all the same. Remember, if you want an opportunity for your comment to be featured on an episode, leave a rating and review. It helps me out tremendously. Although, honestly, I'm only saying that because I've heard other people say it. I don't know the quantifiable impact of leaving ratings and reviews, but as someone who certainly doesn't just sit and refresh the review page, I know it would make my day a lot better. So, thanks all for listening. Your critiques, your praise, it's very much appreciated, and I look forward to talking to you next time on I Know What You're Thinking.